0: It's time to take the quiz. 5 questions, 5 minutes a day, 5 days a week.
1: Take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox.
2: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends. It's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Rich Lowry coming up at the bottom of the hour, And, of course, your calls always welcome. I look forward to them. 1-866-408-7669. We have a lot to discuss. i tell you, the president has on his agenda. uh, He's going to be meeting with Billie Jean King to join a celebration of Title IX. Gives women a shot in sports. It did eliminate a lot of minor men's sports because men and women had to have equal opportunities in every college uh, situation. But it's given women... Opportunities were not afforded. And President Biden will deliver remarks on gas prices. And guess what he'll do? He'll blame Vladimir Putin, which is totally irresponsible. Uh, We'll talk about that. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
0: Overnight, the Senate took its first steps towards passing major gun-related legislation. The bill is a bipartisan deal that would expand gun background checks for people under 21, allowing up to 10 <laughs> business days to review juvenile and mental health records. It provides federal money for states enacting new red flag laws designed to temporarily seize guns from people deemed dangerous. And it closes the so-called boyfriend loophole.
3: Yeah, the red flag law is the most, well, as red flags going up for those uh, pro-gun guys. I do believe that this is a step in the right direction, but gun reform is queued up and ready to be released this week and may be voted on. Money for school security, mental health, incentives for states to implement red flag laws, this whole boyfriend clause. I need some clarification on. Do you think this will make us safer? Answer that question.
2: Number two. If Biden is capable,
4: he will try to run again. I mean, it's not like he's actually working at the job. The danger for the world is that a United States that instead of having a commander-in-chief has a comedian-in-chief, that It's very dangerous for us and for the rest of the world. And
3: he's being sarcastic. Nothing's funny about Joe Biden. Primaries and the presidential run. We will bring you the latest from the primary season and the results from Virginia, Georgia, and Alabama. Uh, What it tells us about the power of Trump, all GOP heavyweights evaluate a possible field of candidates who could buy against Trump, which I'm sure he'll declare, for the nomination. And
5: number one. The question on the Chevron CEO's complaint today, he said that your administration has largely criticized the oil and gas industry and at times vilified it. It's mildly
4: sensitive. I didn't know they get their feelings hurt that quickly. Unbelievable. Look, we need more refining capacity.
3: Oh. Biden showing anything but leadership as he mocks the oil and gas executives who gave a formal response to his barbs and complaints, and the American people will pay the price of the pump. He wants everyone to celebrate because he's going to say, hey, you know that extra 18 cents you're paying per gallon? We're going to put that on hold until September. Who cares? What is that? A dollar? Is that going to be eaten up right now? Gas is roughly four ninety-five or five oh five, wherever you are. Some places seven seventy-six. I saw one uh, in California, up to ten dollars a gallon. Whoa! I could save eighteen cents, honey. We can put that vacation back on our calendar. Not going to happen. But instead of taking it serious, finding out what it really takes to get more oil and gas, almost like a Operation Warp Speed, in order to help our war effort in Ukraine and supporting Ukrainians against the Russians. What do you think he's doing? No, he's giving Vladimir. Putin wind at his back to say, listen, I'm hurting the West people. I know you're suffering without food and basics, but we are and we have so many people in your family are now dead thanks to my stupid war in Ukraine. Instead, he could say, look what I'm doing to the West. Joe Biden's even admitting that it's the Putin price hike that's putting pain. Do you understand the flip side of what he's saying? Listen to this quick exchange. For an irresponsible president who spends every weekend on the beach, cut one.
5: The question on the Chevron CEO's complaint today. He said that your administration has largely criticized the oil and gas industry and at times vilified it, and that the administration would need to take a change in approach in order to make progress on, on reducing energy prices and to increase supply. Do you have a reaction to that, sir?
4: It's mildly sensitive. I didn't know they get their feelings hurt that quickly. Look, we need more... Refining capacity. This idea that they don't have oil to drill and to bring up is simply not true. It is true. They are making profits. That is true. But you've had them
3: convert their refineries. We haven't had a new one built in, I think, 40 years. You haven't them convert their refineries to uh, some type of natural use Clean burning, not talking about gas, talking about some type of green energy component or using vegetable oil. These have been converted. And now you say quickly ramp up, quickly ramp up. How are you supposed to do that when you're being vilified on a regular basis? Remember what they've done. You know who does remember what they've done in terms of pure policy? Michael Schnellenberger. He is uh, was on with Laura last night, and he is uh, talking about the apocalypse never. He talks about there is not going to be any major climate change. It's going to be cataclysmic. For the planet, case in point, what this administration has done to increase the pain on Americans. Cut eight.
6: Yeah, I wish I could brag about my investigative journalism skills, but the lies he keeps making are so easy to debunk. It doesn't take any skill. Remember last week, he said that the oil companies were holding back with the oil they were refining. Today, he then said that they needed more refinery capacity. So he literally contradicted himself in a few days. He then said that they didn't need to be drilling in Alaska. In fact, the oil uh, company said they did want to drill in Alaska, a million acres there. And most people don't know that he killed a huge refinery expansion proposed for the U.S. Virgin Islands, could have processed hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil, and he hasn't approved any onshore oil and gas leases since he took office. So this is a guy who says he wants to end the fossil fuel industry, and then he acts shocked that the oil and gas industry – isn't on board with expanding um, investments in production.
3: See what, how an insult this is. You know, if you're really trying to solve a problem, You don't vilify the people, mock the people who are writing you a letter in response to your challenge to refine more, to drill more. If you're not going to use the 9,000 leases, we'll take them away. Take them away. Because with all the regulations, it's not going to be able to drill anyway. And with your trying to prevent major investment firms from investing in oil and gas, they don't have the money to do it anyway. But you can vilify them. Now let's talk about what happened in the primaries. That policy, oil and gas policy, the ridiculous tax holiday for the next three months, getting rid of our oil reserves. Is it this going to affect anybody's lives as we get more oil and get oil into the uh, world market? I look at what's happening in Virginia. It was there yesterday. The second and seventh, as they say, is bellwether for the country. You have... A woman of a diverse background, Salvadorian immigrants, a a child of Salvadorian immigrants who fled the Civil War back in the 1980s, has won the Republican nomination to represent Virginia's 7th District for the Republican Party. Uh, She outpointed Derek Anderson, who's a Navy, excuse me, an Army Ranger, and uh, he only lost by percentage points. But they're, they're targeting Abigail Spainberger, who says she's a moderate but is not. So they redistrict, make it more favorable for her, and that could go, in Virginia, very purple. That could go very red. We also understand that Jen Kiggins is a very strong candidate to win overall against Elaine Luria, who's remarkably unpopular in Virginia, and the second district's been redistricting, now leans more to the right. Jen's Kiggins, quite impressive, a nurse practitioner, former Navy pilot, who wants to serve in Congress What could be wrong with that? Republicans not only have openings, they have strong candidates. Not good for Donald Trump. Uh, They have uh, another candidate lost that he supported. You have uh, Michael Collins, who defeated the Trump backed Vernon Jones. I really like Vernon Jones. He was a Democrat, state, uh, Democrat in Georgia, converted to Republican, big Donald Trump supporter, was going to run for governor, backed out, ran for Congress. Michael Collins pounds him by about 50 points. He'll be the Republican nominee. Not good. Rich McCormick defeats a Trump-backed candidate, Jake Evans, in Georgia. Mr. President, uh, you're not going to do well in Georgia unless you change your approach there. Governor Kemp much more popular there. Even Herschel Walker says uh, that Donald Trump never contacted him didn't tell him to run. He made that decision by praying with this. What is good for Donald Trump? This he turned on Mo Brooks because Mo Brooks one time said, "Let's move past the 2020 election," which, by the way, is good policy. Katie Britt, former chief of staff for uh, Senator Shelby, she will be the nominee. She wins by a substantial amount over Mo Brooks. Mo Brooks was backed by Trump. Then Katie Britt was backed by Trump. She accepts it. So now we watch, too, Mehmet Oz, who used Donald Trump's support to propel him to a win over David McCormick to get that Senate nomination in Pennsylvania. Now, Mehmet Oz, you notice, is taking a lot of the Trump stuff off his website and focusing more on running like Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. Happy to have the president's support, but I'm here focused on the people of Pennsylvania. Why? Because these battleground states, it's not clear if Trump help or hurts yet. So you just want to win or lose on your own merits. I'll talk to Rich Lowry uh, about that because it, I find it really intriguing and gives you clues on how the midterms will go. Here's Katie Britt, Cut 12.
5: One is getting clear. And that is Alabama has spoken. We want new blood. We want fresh blood. We want someone who will fight for our Christian conservative values, who will fight for the freedoms and liberty this nation was founded on, and will fight for that American dream, for the next generation and the next.
3: Here is uh, good news for Democrats. Uh, Henry Cuellar won. If he did not win the runoff against the extreme AOC-like candidate in uh, in. Texas, he's pro-life, he's moderate, he's really strong on the border, then I think Republicans would have taken that seat. They're going to have a hard time upending Henry Cuellar in the general. So bad news for Republicans, but good news for the country. And if you talk to uh, guys like who are to the left, like Bill Maher, he didn't even think it was possible for a guy like Henry Cuellar, a so-called moderate, to even exist in his party, Cut 16. Cut 16.
7: If Biden does step down, or say he's going to step down, then the Democrats have, I and mean, we've all noticed this, a problem, like, but who? Right. And he mentioned, who is there? Bill Clinton who's going to come along? And I thought, OK, well, Clinton and Obama, obviously the last two successful Democrats. Is, is there a Bill Clinton or Barack Obama out there? Or is such a broadly centrist Democrat no longer even really possible?
3: Uh, I challenge him on Barack Obama being a centrist Democrat. Bill Clinton ended up being that way because he's a political survivor. And he said, if I got to get anything done, I got to work with these Republicans. Did it, to credit for it. The economy soared, the deficit shrunk, and he ends up a very popular president. In fact, if he doesn't give that killer speech in 2012, I'm not sure Barack Obama beats Mitt Romney. So that is true. But there is a place for moderates, I think. I mean, there's a place for moderates in the Republican Party. Look at Governor Hogan. No question about it. I mean, that guy's not moderate. Senator Mitt Romney's not moderate. Really? Pretty moderate to me. 1-866-408-7669. We have a lot to discuss today. Don't forget, get ready for One Nation on Saturday. Spend the day with Glenn Youngkin, a rising star on the Republican side, as he becomes governor of Virginia. One term and you're done. Then he can always come back after four years. Does that mean he's running for president? We'll discuss that on One Nation on Saturday night. But we're still looking at Wednesday. Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with your calls in just a moment.
2: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade.
8: Kudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Kudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.
2: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: We're in danger of becoming a party of the very high and the very low. Uh, if you pull out the working class, you've got people who are very well educated and very well off. Those people talk funny. Latinx, I've never met a Latinx. I've never met a BIPOC. I've never met you know all this, this weird stuff that these highly educated people say. It's bizarre. Nobody talks that way at the barbershop, the nail salon. Uh, the the, the, uh, the grocery store, uh, the community center, but that's how we talk now. So that's weird. And then the people who are very low down on the economic ladder need a bunch of stuff. You wind up over-promising, oh, we're going to give you reparations to, to people at the bottom of the economic ladder, talking weird to appeal to people at the top of the economic ladder, and the working class walks away from you. That is the danger we're facing.
3: And that is why Republicans have not been pushing back against the raising the corporate tax rate. They really haven't even though Donald Trump would be protective of it, because Republicans are perfectly happy taking the working-class voter. They're more comfortable with it. After all, how do you explain all these woke executives from Wall Street giving to Democrats? So why are Republicans fighting for these Wall Street firms and, and at the same time Democrats getting all the money and the contributions? So why fight for them? And that's Van Jones, who's an Ivy League grad, talking about nobody talks like this. And there's more working class, middle class uh, people in this country than there are upper class people. Obviously, so you vilify the top one percent for not paying enough taxes instead of defending them. Republicans go, okay, about it. Go ahead, uh, you can go after them. Yeah, it's okay. I'm not going to push back. You go ahead. Go ahead, fight the rich guys, and you go do that. And we're not going to even take an opinion on it. But I see that the, you talk about a wave. You thought the Tea Party was a wave, the pushback against President Obama. Not against him personally, but specifically against Obamacare and the apology tour. That burst the Tea Party. But this, with inflation, with our foreign policy, Afghanistan evacuation, and you look at gas prices. I mean, everything Joe Biden's touched has gone to hell. And personally, he's been a mess. Falling up his bike, falling upstairs. You think the wave is a wave is going to come hard, big time. So- what the Democrats have is a compliant media, and they have January 6th. January 6th is all they got, and it's compelling, but there's no argument, so it's neutralized. Republicans have basically been told, like the vaccine, like, go jump in the lake. Okay, fine, you keep your vaccine, and I'll keep my job. Oh, you're going to fire me? Good luck with that. See how that resonates between the pandemic, lockdown, shutdowns, the mandates— between the school system, Democrats trying to control that and the curriculum, putting parents in second, along with everything I just mentioned, it is not going to be a good – it's not going to be a good election cycle for Democrats, nor should it be. What I thought was interesting yesterday is Governor Christie, who's going to be on the show today in a different hour, was on with David Murray, works for ABC, and they were just talking about January 6th, and they know that Chris Christie's been a critic of the president when it comes to January 6th. They've had a fallout since. But listen to this exchange to show you how surprised they are when David Muir, who just likes easy interviews and tosses to reporters, said this, cut 17.
8: This goes all the way back to 2000 with George W. Bush, when you had supporters of Al Gore, who even after Vice President Gore conceded the election and certified it himself. Um, As the president of the Senate refused to accept George W. Bush as legitimate, you've had Hillary Clinton say that she still doesn't accept the 2016 election results as legitimate. This is a very dangerous thing in this country, which was brought to a new level in 2020. But I do have to to interrupt right there because
10: you also know, Governor Al Gore stood before the nation and actually conceded uh, and did something very different from what we've witnessed. Yeah, and I just don't want our audience to think that I'm not aware that there isn't a a real equivalency here when you have a, a former president who is sowing the uh, the seeds of doubt.
3: So that was the pushback that had everything trending on Twitter. I went and checked it out, and there we go. So I think that... Chris Christie did a good job outlining another side. They're not used to having another side. No one ever acknowledges that Hillary Clinton doesn't acknowledge that Donald Trump won. In fact, the first time I ever heard people regularly say Donald Trump won is in the 2020 election. People were saying, remember, everyone didn't give him a shot last time and he won. Look out. Joe Biden doesn't have this thing locked up yet. So I thought to myself, did you subtly admit that Donald Trump won? It didn't start with him. Donald Trump took it to the extreme, absolutely. But the January 6th hearings, we can go on to this, and this person said this, and Ron Johnson did that, and Rudy Giuliani said this, and this election worker fell to rest. All true. But you need to have as a Jim Jordan or a Congressman Banks to go— What's also important to know is President Trump felt X, Y, and Z because. And this has been blown out of proportion. And this is not correct. And there were other threats to Donald Trump supporters in these other markets. But you don't get that, so you think it doesn't exist. Other people know it exists, sees it not in this hearing, and are just not going to watch. Rich Lowry will be with us to talk about what we've learned from the midterm so far. And Governor DeSantis with $100 in
9: the bank.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
5: The question on the Chevron CEO's complaint today. He said that your administration has largely criticized the oil and gas industry and at times vilified it. And that the administration would need to take a change in approach in order to make progress on, on reducing energy prices and to increase supply. Do you have a reaction to that, sir? He's mildly sensitive. I
4: didn't know they get their feelings hurt that quickly. Look, we need more refining capacity this idea that they don't have oil to drill and to bring up is simply not true
3: unbelievable right he's talking about we need more uh refining capacity when he's doing everything to destroy it and he thinks that people who are busy in their lives will think that he's got a point he doesn't rich lowry editor of national review uh joins us now rich i mean he really thinks that the oil and gas companies are the bad guys in this situation
11: yeah, it's it's pathetic. I mean, I just think that's the word you have to apply to this administration. It's been the most apt word ever since the Afghan withdrawal. It's pathetic. He's overwhelmed by events. He won't acknowledge reality, and he has no idea how to make it better. And the idea that, you know, uh, during the pandemic, what the price of oil was negative briefly, right? I, they, they were greedy then, right? Why why couldn't they spike prices then? Um, it, it, it just it makes no sense at, at any Level, they they've made it impossible to build refineries in this country. I mean, a major one hasn't been built since the 70s. You can't build them near people because it might hurt people. You can't build it away from people because it might hurt prairie dogs. And by the way, if you have a refinery, you need to use this you know this bio blend or, or whatever, or, or pay pay up for a credit if you don't. So I mean, they they've just done everything they can to destroy this industry, and now they're blaming the victim.
3: They are. I want you to do what Mike Schellenberger said, Schellenberger said, who wrote this book, The Apocalypse Never, Cut 8.
6: Yeah, I wish, I wish I could brag about my investigative journalism skills, but the lies he keeps making are so easy to debunk. It doesn't take any skill. Remember last week, he said that the oil companies were holding back with the oil they were refining. Today, he then said that they needed more refinery capacity. So he literally contradicted himself in a few days. He then said that they didn't need to be drilling in Alaska. In fact, the oil uh, company said they did want to drill in Alaska, a million acres there. And most people don't know that he killed a huge refinery expansion proposed for the U.S. Virgin Islands, could have processed hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil, and he hasn't approved any onshore oil and gas leases since he took office. So this is a guy who says he wants to end the fossil fuel industry, and then he acts shocked that the oil and gas industry Mm – isn't on board with expanding um, investments in production.
3: I mean, how do you explain that? They're, they're going to have oil and gas executives go there. He can rip Chevron and be sarcastic about Chevron's statement, thoughtful statement and response after he used the bully pulpit to blitz the oil and gas industry, who I don't think was getting any bailouts during the pandemic. i got to look that up again. But he's not even meeting one-on-one with these guys.
11: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he, he'd at least do them that courtesy for whoever that's worth, but you just can't. And Schellenberger is so good, but you, you can't um, tell an industry that you want it to be destroyed and go out of business and just fade away. And and then, in the same breath, say you want them to invest more. You can't. No one's going to do it. They need a, a reliable environment that they can trust in. And these are huge decisions that these companies made, You know, make the billion-dollar decisions that have a, a long timeline. And if, if you come in um, and, and everything you know, he's still saying it now. We got to transition away from oil and gas. Instead, he should be saying this is an important pillar of the American economy, and it will continue to to be so for the foreseeable future. But they they won't say that because that's that's not what their ideology is. So it's again, it's just the the whole thing is is pathetic.
3: You remember that the and you would remember better. The the Tea Party came to light. Because of Obamacare and the Apology tour, and they just motivated people in the midterms. Compared that, the gas prices, the, the, the way we left Afghanistan, compared to inflation, uh, the challenges we have coming out of the pandemic, the differences in schooling, the w- unwillingness to stand up, the unwillingness to stand up to, uh, to the teachers' unions. this is going to be a route like no other you would think. Do you feel
2: that way?
11: Yeah, and then you, you missed the – you covered almost everything except for the, the big thing that could be coming down the track, which is a recession. I mean, Biden keeps on saying we had the fastest-growing economy in the world, negative 1.4 GDP growth in the first quarter. Some people have it pegged it right around at zero in the second quarter. So the, so the layer of recession on, on top of, of, of all the pain and tumult we've had uh, to this point, I mean, it's almost unimaginable how bad it will be now – to how many seats Republicans could pick up because they already picked some up in 2020. But, you know, you get or you, get, you know, 25, 30 seats and you get the biggest House majority for Republicans since the now 1920s. Some of these Senate candidates on the Republican side look a little shaky, but I don't think And it's going to be a complete debacle for the Democrats. So
3: do you think – let's talk about some of those Senate candidates. Uh, Dr. Oz has pulled down a lot of the the Trump branding off his website. He's got to go win the general uh, against Fetterman. Right now he's trailing by about five or six points. Number one, was that a good move because Trump really propelled him to the nomination? Number two, if you're the Oz camp, are you concerned?
11: Yeah, I mean you should be concerned in in th- this kind of year given the, the you know that Pennsylvania is a, a winnable spate, state state was demonstrated by Trump, was demonstrated by Pat Toomey and multiple races in, in you're behind to a guy that has a major health issue and is basically a Bernie Sanders leftist. That's not good. You know, I, I very much would not count Oz out, but that's not good. And then you just have this this tightrope where you 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 want to be you know the the most Trump Trumpy candidate in the primary, but you, you got to be careful about that with suburban voters in the the general, and it requires a certain kind of deafness and a political touch. I'm not 100% sure Oz has that, but um, it, it, that, that's whatever's going to happen there is going to be a close race and probably closer than it should be.
3: Well, uh, what about as you look at Herschel Walker and the revelations about three kids? He says who were written up, He doesn't talk about it much, but he's never denied their existence. Is that a
9: problem?
11: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a problem. Again, you hope just uh, the, the environment and what's going to happen down in Georgia where I think Brian Kemp is going to win in Georgia terms quite handily in the gubernatorial race kind of brings Herschel over the top and obviously just you know a, a, a legend, but you know, it shows show signs of, of not being particularly well prepared for the, the political arena.
3: Uh, OK, L- let's talk about some things I spent yesterday with uh, Glenn Youngkin. I'm going to have a uh, feature with him on uh, on One Nation and on, on, on uh, Fox and Friends on Monday. Uh, th- he's not t- he's not rejecting running for president. He's only got one term as governor. Is he legitimate contender? Ron DeSantis has one hundred million dollars. Reportedly didn't even ask Donald Trump for an endorsement of uh, of his gubernatorial reelection campaign. What do you think is happening uh, among the Republican side?
11: Well, one, I kind of think, and this was against what was my expectation at the beginning, I thought the January 6th committee hearings would be a fizzle. I think they probably moved the needle a little bit in the way that matters most, is is you can you convince Republicans who voted for Trump twice who loved his policies, who like him as a guy, who will be eternally grateful for the Supreme Court picks and for defeating Hillary Clinton. Can you convince them? You know what? Maybe it's time to move on. Maybe we don't want to relitigate all this stuff over and over again. And I think anecdotally, I hear you know that, that, that maybe they have moved moved the needle there. But you know, it's still Trump's the big gorilla in the room, and, and his decision will, will matter a lot. Uh, if he doesn't run, you know you're going to have uh, a huge field. DeSantis will be the uh, front, front runner, but he's got to prove the interesting New Yorker profile that people haven't yeah. really focused on much. But you hear kind of an introvert. You know, he's not not a naturally outgoing guy. These clips of him jousting, and you know, they're like,
4: not." Oh, yeah.
3: Hey, Rich. Uh, yeah. I think hey, Richard,
11: th- the, th- th- we're.
3: Yeah, I think you're you're breaking up pretty bad. But I hear what you're saying. If he, does, yeah, if he doesn't, uh, you know, if he if he doesn't run, the whole thing opens up. But if he does run, and you're able to beat Donald Trump, if he leaves the scene with his 38 to 42%, you have no shot to win the general.
11: Yeah, well, you 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 need you need Trump not to be alienated from the party, and, and this is the really tricky thing. You know, if you if you beat him, um, is he going to say, okay, you you beat me, and I ho- I hope you beat the the Democrat, or you know, or is he you know, is he going to be disaffected uh, even if he's not running? You don't want to um, you want to keep him and his voters on board. So it's going to require a lot of uh, a lot of uh, deftness.
3: All right. Uh, Rich Lowry, thanks so much. National Review, uh, exciting times, and it's befuddling what's happening at the White House, leaving a lot of Democrats scratching their heads, too. Rich, thank you. Uh, Appreciate it. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I want to find out what you think about this. Also, what you think about something we have not discussed uh, much about yet, and that is – What is happening with gun reform? I'll go into detail on what they're proposing, what what it looks like Republicans and Democrats will vote on and see if you can get behind. And more importantly, will it make us safer? Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
12: Today I want to talk to you about Jimmy Dore appearing on Tucker Carlson. Isn't it interesting that Tucker Carlson is the only person that have, like, Glenn Greenwald on? He's the only person that will attack Big Business. And lots of you that are, like, left-leaning or Democrat in your previous biases or just in your persuasion will think that Tucker Carlson maybe is a, what did someone call him once, a human boat shoe? A lot of people don't care for Tucker Carlson. But what interests me is that Fox News used to be a, a channel that we continually berated and baited when it was, like, Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity and all those guys. We used to torment them about their stance on numerous issues. But nowadays, if you want a channel that's going to criticize big business, big tech, big corporations, mainstream media generally and broadly, peculiarly, you're most likely to find that on Fox News. Why don't we have a leftist mainstream media outlet that would showcase a voice like Jimmy Dawes? Why is that? What has become of the left?
3: Very interesting. By the way, Bill O'Reilly would always go against big business. He would take on corporations. But I understand his point. By the way, good vocabulary. I've never heard him talk before, really. Just a few lines, and then uh, I know he was terrible as author.
13: Well, um, he's a smart guy. You might not agree with what he says, but I mean, he it, he does try to go into. At one point, he issues. had a
3: recorder. He was sitting there with a the tape recorder oh, outside trying of to Fox, catch I
13: know, trying to get but Sean Hannity, right? I think outside the building, which is bizarre.
3: What does he do? Isn't he a comedian?
13: He is. He's an actor, um, but you know,
3: I always wonder what happens to actors when they they're they become famous and then they're just I don't see him anything like who pays them.
13: Like, I'm not there, sure what is
3: their safety net
13: I don't I, he's probably in things that we don't realize Man, I know the last thing he was in that I can recall off the top of my head is saving Sarah Marshall and he was very funny in that movie was he yes
3: I I know one woman we both know I've just said he was unbelievably attractive said that until you meet him in person he's got this unbelievable charisma I wasn't in that day she's no longer here that when Russell Brand came in, I've never heard her falling. She said this guy is unbelievably charismatic. He says when he looks at you, you just feel like the world is changing.
13: So you would say maybe he's almost like Pete Davidson in that regard. Hmm. Someone who you don't necessarily see initially as you would think being attractive. But I think that would be a good uh, that
3: would be a good answer. I don't know if Pete Davidson been described that way. I just think that he dates. Older women, right? Davidson? He Davidson.
13: Yeah. No, I mean he just dates like a list, crazy, beautiful.
3: But look at the what? woman before Kardashian. She was like in her forties.
13: No, she, um, no. He. It was. Um, oh my gosh, she's Kate Beckinsale, who's stunning.
3: Who's older though? Right. A
13: little older, but she's still like the epitome of beauty. Have you seen her? She's stunning. She's Eric. Super do, you, smart. do you
3: agree with this?
1: Going to have to agree with that.
3: All right, good. Yeah. <laughs> she was the one that, <laughs> that was the quickest he's ever reacted. She is
13: stunning. Right. Um, she is What did also, she do? Is she a model? She, she's an actress and model. She was also the one on Howard Stern, right? When we played the cut, and people criticized her for her IQ. Super oh. smart. I do follow her on Instagram. She's very funny.
3: Wait, wait a second. So they criticized her for having a high IQ. Yeah, or she or... sort of like
13: called her mom to check her IQ, and she, there was sort of backlash about it. So not only is she stunning, she's smart. Oh. But then it was also then um, the girl that licked the donut, um, Ariana Grande. Yeah. And the, Who I mean, they,
3: they like they met and got engaged in were, a week.
13: They were yeah, they were, it was hot and heavy quickly. Mm. I'm at a lot of high-level people. I'm forgetting all, right. all
3: of them. I keep forgetting about my life because I'm so caught up in celebrities' lives. I'm, <laughs> I should start paying more attention to, uh, to my life.
13: You should, you should, like, announce to our audience who's the new addition to your family.
3: Right. Um, oh, I have another dog. Yes. Yes. You had to
13: think about that for a second. Right.
3: I do. Uh, yes, I have another dog. Willow has joined the Great Pyrenees family of three now. So Willow has joined Rocky and Apollo because nobody wanted Adrian. No one liked that name.
13: I think it would have been a great, like, video of you just opening your front door, yelling, Adrian, looking for the dog.
3: Yo, Adrian. <laughs> hey, uh, Donnie, listen, W-L-A-D. Hey, Donnie.
13: Hey, Brian. How are you, brother? Good. What's on your mind? Oh, about the gun
4: stuff they're talking about. You All know,
3: right, so would, are you a gun guy?
4: No, nah, I'm not. I'm actually blind, to be honest with you. Okay. But if they give me one, and, you know, I think they'd be, I'd get myself in trouble with it. But anyway... You know, all this surface looking that they're doing, you know, on top of the surface, it's you know that's good and everything. Background checks and everything, but you know, I think they better pay a little more attention, get their blindfolds off, and look underground a little bit because there's a lot of would be like bootlegging. You know, you take it away, and they'll just uh, these guys, these guys get guns. The guys that want guns. Well, let me get
3: just get, give everybody an idea what they voted for: sixty-four, thirty-four to bring the bring this to the debate. $750 million to fund states' part and uh, uh, to put in place red flag laws. So they'll give them a portion of money if these states decide on their own to put red flag laws in. So Oklahoma doesn't have to do it. New York can. Allow for, uh, firearms to be removed if they are deemed dangerous, uh, if these people are deemed dangerous. Uh, that, that's part of the red flag law. Close boyfriend, Close the boyfriend loophole. I am not really sure on that. So if you're in a relationship and it ends up abusive and they're not married, somehow the person was able to escape, be able to keep their firearm, yet they sometimes a woman felt threatened. The boyfriend loophole will now be closed. Okay, for five years, you won't be able to have guns if you threaten somebody with a gun for five years of of good behavior. Grant uh, Grant uh, states money for mental health services for schools to the tune of one point three thirty five billion dollars. Uh, do that and as well as additional money for securing the schools we'll see where this goes it looks like schumer is teaming up a procedural vote they want to get this done before july 4th center Corn is getting some blowback you heard him get booed over the weekend so we'll see where this goes there's got a lot of more details in it. it's got to be drawn up he is going to come on here and talk about it when it's done roy listening over in georgia hey roy
14: morning brian how are you
3: good what's on your mind
14: well, I just think that the the gun legislation is not going to go anywhere, uh, or if it's
0: passed, it's not going to be much. All it's going to do is uh, add one more crack in the dam uh, for the floodwaters to come in and take away the Second Amendment. It's just one more chip uh, that they're that the anti-gun folks are going to use.
3: Well, to, number one, uh, would you say would you be for in Valdosta? Not every school is rich. You're in Valdosta, Georgia. Would you be for providing funds to provide security for these schools so the the next lunatic 18-year-old can be stopped? Are you for that?
14: Absolutely. And we do have uh, law enforcement officers at every school, every one of
3: them. Now, the next one would be money for uh, mental health services in schools. A lot of times schools have to share school psychologists. Now, uh, in theory, they won't. You for that?
0: Yes, I am, but it needs to be strictly enforced. If you've got one kid... That raises a red flag, that thing needs to be investigated
4: immediately.
14: Uh, and don't
4: push it under the rug or uh,
3: don't I hear you. Uh, How about this? The kid turns eighteen. You have to have at least ten days to thoroughly look into a background check to make sure he's not next buffalo shooter. And you get ten days if they turn eighteen and want to buy a gun, they're gonna to have to wait. And you do have to call the local police to see if there's any incidents. Are you for that? Yes. Okay, so that, that's three-fourths. These are three-quarters of what's in Senator Cornyn's bill. The red flag laws is where the rubber hits the road for a lot of people. So i got to ask him, how is this going to be implemented? Because if you know that kid is crazy down the block, and you know he just turned 18, you know he just got a gun, and the classmates know that they, he's actually said to them he's going to act, what legislative do, what legislation do you have on the books that allows the cops to step in? That's the question we need to answer. Brian Kilmeade Joe.
2: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from midtown Manhattan, but heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined in a matter of moments uh, by Larry Kudlow and then Lonnie Chen uh, at the bottom of the hour, too. Uh, Lonnie, you may know, he was working with the with the Romney campaign, but now he's running for a California state controller. Not easy to be a Republican and try to win in California, but he believes things have gotten to the point uh, where they're going to change, and he believes Uh, He's the guy to get to break through, and I think he could be, too. Extremely intelligent guy, as is Larry Kudlow. So rather than leave Larry Kudlow hung up, and I know he's looking forward to Billie Jean King being honored at the White House today, to honor, I think, 50 years since Title IX, Uh, we're going to put that on hold for a second and bring you the Big Three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code B. BK10 to save 10%.
0: Number three. Overnight, the Senate took its first steps towards passing major gun-related legislation. The bill is a bipartisan deal that would expand gun background checks for people under 21, allowing up to 10 business days to review juvenile and mental health records. It provides federal money for states enacting new red flag laws designed to temporarily seize guns from people deemed dangerous. And it closes the so-called boyfriend loophole.
3: Yeah, there it is. A gun reform queued up uh, for release this week. Money for school security, mental health, incentives for states to implement red flag laws, boyfriend clauses are on the table. We need to see the details. Where do you stand? Will this make us safer?
2: Number two. If Biden is capable, he will try to run again. I
4: mean, it's not like he's actually working at the job. The danger for the world is that a United States, that instead of having a commander in chief, has a comedian in chief. It's very dangerous for us and for the rest of the world.
3: Uh, Newt Gingrich talking about Joe Biden, primaries and presidential runs. We'll bring you the latest from the primary season and the results from Virginia, Georgia and Alabama. What it tells us about the power of Trump while the GOP heavyweights evaluate a possible field of candidates who could challenge him for the nomination.
11: Number one.
5: The question on the Chevron CEO's complaint today, (coughs) he said that your administration has largely... Criticized the oil and gas industry and
4: at times vilified it. He's mildly sensitive. I didn't know they get their feelings hurt that quickly. Look, we need more refining capacity.
3: He's such a simpleton. President Biden showing something, anything but leadership as his, he mocks oil and gas executives who gave a legitimate, thoughtful uh, response to his many barbs and the American people pay the price because he will not lead or even meet with them one on one. Let's bring in Larry Kudlow, former White House economic advisor, Hosted Kulo on FBN. You watch him every day at four o'clock. Larry, welcome back.
15: Ryan, it's a pleasure. I just wanted to know those uh, endorsements you had at the top. Did you pay those people or did they do this voluntarily?
3: Do we know, Allison? Do we know if we are paying sponsors to be our sponsor? I believe in no, free not- enterprise.
15: I met the people, the individuals who said this is the greatest show on radio.
3: Oh, those people, those were paid. Did, those are paid, absolutely. Did you, did you script that? <laughs> uh, listen, Larry, for one thing, that hurts my feelings. You don't think there's three people in the country who feel that way? <laughs> you, are, you know that, are you that jealous? Oh, you might we open up Cudlow a- with other people, random people endorsing you. <laughs> we're going to take a poll. <laughs> yeah. Wow. When well, Larry Kudlow attacks you, well, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, I don't even know how to handle it. It's really throwing me off my game.
15: Uh, with the other you know, I actually uh in high school uh played tennis with Billie Jean King and uh, her doubles partner Rosie Cassells, uh because um we had the same coach for a, couple really? years, a guy named a guy named Frank Brennan. Yeah. He had a tennis center out in uh Route Seventeen in Paramus, New Jersey. You know, my goal in life—it's—I'm it, not, not going to make it, but I wanted to win Wimbledon.
3: Wow, you told <laughs> me—that's how much you played. How much? How many times a day, a week were you playing?
15: Oh, in those days, it was every day. I mean, no, I worked hard. I played in in high school and college. I mean, I still play today, sort of. But um, yeah, Bill—I played with Billie Jean King, and she was a lovely woman i might add she was really super woman and uh a couple of us who were playing junior tennis in those days used to ferry the players in the old Forest Hills uh tournament where they had this thing in the amateur days we used to you know drive the players back and forth from new york city out to uh, forest hills gardens uh for the west side tennis club which is where they used to have that so when you mentioned Billie Jean King, I don't know anything about her politics. All I know is she was a fabulous tennis player. She was a pathbreaker for women's women's tennis. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of us played with her, played some doubles with her. It was awesome.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Title IX, what it did, it gave uh, women the opportunity to play at the next level. The one thing I didn't love what Title IX did in an effort to make it equal for men and women, as many athletes on both sides, since women didn't play football, you get 45 people on the football team and you realize how many more men athletes you have. So to get it down to size, they'd cut wrestling and gymnastics and, and maybe any of these other smaller sports that weren't revenue generating. So that was one of the bad sides of it. But overall, it was a good opportunity for women.
15: Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, if my memory serves me, Brian, uh, didn't Billie Jean, wasn't she one of the originals? on the professional Virginia Slims tour. I think she founded it. I really do. Yeah,
3: I, just, I, yeah, I do. Yeah, I, World Tennis. I, I, I think she's president of it still, I think. Team Tennis.
15: Yeah, I mean, I, she, right. So she was a pathbreaker in many ways. But she was also a great serve and volleyer tennis player, uh, old style, which to this day I still love. You don't see much of it anymore. But she was mighty good. And then I remember when she whooped, uh Bobby Riggs, who was a real jerk.
3: <laughs> right. Uh or pretended to be a jerk, uh or a sexist. Yeah, that's right. So right. listen, I, I would love to talk tennis with you, uh but and I would love to just uh play on the fact that I have no fans is what you're trying to say. Uh with with <laughs> my did. open. I
15: just I just wanted to know.
3: That's you just all. wanted to know. You're just curious. Uh, I just want you to hear, I want you to hear Joe Biden respond to yeah. a question because the Chevron people put in writing exactly the problem they had with this con- the condemnation of the white house. Listen to Joe Biden's reaction. Cut one.
5: The question on the Chevron CEO's complaint today, he said that your administration has largely criticized the oil and gas industry and at times vilified it. And that the administration would need to take a change in approach in order to make progress on, on reducing energy prices and to increase supply. Do you have a reaction to that,
4: sir? It's mildly sensitive. I didn't know they'd get their feelings hurt that quickly. Look, we need more refining capacity. This idea that they don't have oil to drill and to bring up is simply not true.
3: Yeah, I, I don't understand the condescending tone. And I wonder what Larry Kudlow's response is.
15: Well, I would agree with you 100%. I mean, for one thing, right? I know Mike Worth pretty well. He's a very smart guy, and he's a low-key guy, and he's a businessman. And he's just trying to, you know, do his job. Chevron's a fabulous uh, oil company. Look, they, you know, they insulted Darren Woods of ExxonMobil. I, I know Darren Woods also. Um, Biden's so condescending, and if you dig into this story— He doesn't have a leg to stand on because actually his uh very severe green new deal environmental restrictions is climate change nonsense where they want to abolish fossil fuels abolish all fossil fuels he campaigned on that and he still believes that he has caused a major cutback in refining in, in two ways uh number one they've actually closed 11 refiners uh, under his administration. All right, that's the point. they actually closed refiners on so-called, you know, clean air, clean water, uh, NEPA grounds. And um, number two, they've actually created incentives. So you have to refine various renewables, okay, and renewable formulas so you're not producing gasoline, This is from his own EPA. And a lot of the states, by the way, the biggest state, California, has had a very major move to um, order, mandate, uh, refining renewables, not gasoline. So these are self-inflicted wounds. That's my point. There is a shortage of gasoline, Brian, probably about a million barrels a day short. And I might add we're a little over a million barrels a day short of oil production uh, on a pre-pandemic basis. This is because of Biden policies. And he can blame Putin and he can blame Chevron and he can blame the man in the moon for all I care. The reality is they brought this on themselves. We don't need $5 gasoline nationwide if but for the incredible uh, restrictions and interruptions and attacks on our fossil fuel industry, which, by the way, my last point, is 80 percent of our power in this country 80 percent comes from fossil fuels and we have a president that wants to abolish fossil fuels so no wonder these guys don't want to make long-term investments it takes years to open up a refinery 80 percent fossil fuels
3: hey uh larry kudlow here uh leslie marshall has a different opinion she's on our channel and she is from the democratic perspective doesn't believe a thing you said cut nine
1: he's an a epip- because the American people
13: want to blame just Joe Biden, just a politician, just this administration or my party. But the problem is the other side of that. And those are the oil corporations. First quarter of this year, record profits for these oil corporations, specifically these CEOs. They're really who's to blame at the pump. And the president is right when he talks about the opportunity for drilling. As you know, there's th- there are thousands of permits out there. And you've heard the oil uh, company CEOs saying, you know, we're not going to do it. We're not so the CEOs have no problem taking their money and investing on stock markets abroad, not ours, and putting money back into this economy and, and not reducing prices to help the Americans who go to the pump each and every day to get to their jobs and to have their livelihood.
3: So obviously doesn't agree. Is, is she right about that? The CEOs are the problem? No.
15: Yeah, no. She, my friend Leslie Marshall, whom I've known for years, is completely wrong. First of all, one point she made, she said there are thousands of permits. What she meant to say, I think, is what Biden has said, that there are thousands of leases. They use this number, 9,000 leases, which is uh, factually about 3,000 leases too high. But getting a lease, here, here's an important point. Getting a lease or purchasing a lease is only the very first step. You have to get a permit. So she used that word permit incorrectly. You can't get permits, again, because of very strict uh, so-called environmental, you know, social cost of carbon, direct and indirect effects, cumulative effects over centuries. They have withheld. You can't get a permit to drill. You can't get a permit to open a refinery. You can't get a a permit to uh, launch a pipeline. They took away, just recently, they took away, actually, the leases in Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico, uh, two of the richest finds we have ever had in our energy history. So, again, you know, the problem is to look in the mirror. The problem is the administration. These are self-inflicted wounds. And it's going to be hard right now. It's going to be very hard to pump more gasoline through the refiners, Brian. Um, The Industry Association will tell you uh, 94 or 95 percent of capacity. They're operating at at virtually full capacity. There's not enough room left. So they're doing what they can, but they didn't close the refineries, and they didn't stop the permitting, and they didn't break up the NEPA. Uh, Timetable process where you would have had, you know, t- a two year max which is what uh, Donald Trump put into place. Now, that's gone. Uh, They didn't uh, use the Securities Exchange Commission to run a 2,000-page rule that basically would prevent financing, lending any capital market activity into fossil fuels. They didn't do that. They didn't use the Federal Reserve to do the same thing. The war on fossil fuels is unbelievable. So now the chickens have come home to roost, Gas prices are high, diesel prices are high, oil prices are high, inflation is high, and ultimately, the whole thing's going to be left to the Federal Reserve, and we're going to wind up in a recession if we're already not in one.
3: Larry, real quick, who's on your show today?
15: Uh, We have Rick Perry. We have Senator John Thune. We have Wall Street energy analyst Dan Clifton. Uh, and we have a bunch of others. Are you coming on the show tomorrow or Friday?
3: Uh, either one, because I'm doing the five on Thursday mm-hmm. and Tucker on Saturday on Friday. So you could just you could just uh, pick we'll get, whatever day works yeah, best to, for you.
15: Yeah, no, we love you. We love having you. You are our most popular person. There's no question. Those people at the top of the show were right. I was just kind of ribbing you a little bit. You know, it's kind of fun.
3: But I'm very sensitive. Okay. You know, I'm as sensitive as the oil companies. <laughs> I get my I feelings hurt say, very easily. Are
15: you as sensitive as Mike Worth? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm
3: very sensitive as most CEOs. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate Wonderful, it. Brian. And we listen to Anytime. you. Larry works six days a week. He does WABC on Saturdays. He does a, a radio show because he, he loves talking, and we love getting thanks the information. <laughs> All right. You bet. You take care. Go get him. Larry Cudlow on o'clock, uh, 4 o'clock on FBN. When we come back, your turn, 1-866-408-7669. And at the bottom of the hour, somebody else very important will be coming your way, Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
7: I refuse to get that low and to go. I refuse. Yeah. Winning, winning is just not that important no. to me that I would do that. You're so anyway. I, I am so proud that we were above the fray. I'm so proud we stuck. We, we just stayed with the issues.
3: And that is Vernon Jones. He's a, a Democrat who turned to Republican, big supporter of Donald Trump, African-American, r- decided to not to run for governor, run for a congressional seat, and was unable to get the nomination. Uh, he was beat pretty thoroughly by Michael Collins. And he said, listen, I'm not going to go low. He's a fellow Republican. I'm not going to do it. So I don't know where he goes from here, but I know he's a good guy. I know that Donald Trump really liked him, but his weight does not fly in Georgia. I mean, let, uh, we know that Herschel Walker won his nomination. Donald Trump supported him, but never called him. And then he governor. They didn't want Brian Kemp. The president didn't. Uh, and that didn't work to try to get the secretary of state out. That didn't work. So he is effective in Alabama, was able to pick Katie Britt. So she wins. Mo Brooks does not win. The president does get some other wins. But he's still got a lot of power and a ton of money going to this election. I was staggered to see that Ron DeSantis is about to walk over uh, and win another four years as governor of Florida because he's just overwhelmingly popular. Has $100 million in his war chest. It's raised $3.4 million from previous Trump supporters who have never, that they could tell, contributed to a state election. A lot of people are pushing for DeSantis. Are you ready to go from Trump to DeSantis? Is DeSantis going to run if Trump runs? What about Glenn Young, uh, Youngkin? Would he be somebody that can get your vote? One thing is pretty sure Republicans got their momentum, uh, midterms, and definitely in four years.
2: radio that makes you think this is the brian kilmeade show we're in danger of
9: becoming a party of the very high and the very low uh if you you pull out the working class you've got people who are very well educated and very well off those people talk funny latinx i've never met a latinx i've never met a bipoc i've never met you know all this, this weird stuff that these highly educated people say it's bizarre nobody talks that way at the barber shop the nail salon uh, the, 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 uh, the grocery store, uh, the community center, but that's how we talk now. So that's weird. And then the people who are very low down on the economic ladder need a bunch of stuff. You wind up over-promising, oh, we're going to give you reparations to, to people at the bottom of the economic ladder, talking weird to appeal to people at the top of the economic ladder, and the working class walks away from you. That is the danger we're facing.
3: Van Jones, a Democrat if there ever, was one long-time Obama aide, Ivy League grad who wants to see Democrats be successful. Also, he's a really good analyst. He's 100% right. I don't know where this stuff is coming from. And when I see Bill Maher and people like Van Jones say it, I'm wondering, if they don't know, how am I supposed to know? Lonnie Chen might. Uh, He's uh, he's running for California state controller. Uh, He is a Republican and director of domestic policy studies in public uh, public policy program at Stanford. Long time Hoover guy. And uh, Lonnie also tried to get Mitt Romney elected and was almost successful. Lonnie, welcome back.
16: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
3: What was your thoughts when Van Jones was trying to speculate on what his party's doing?
16: Well, you know, I, I think he makes some really good points, which is that you have uh, a lot of people who don't understand why uh, the politicians in Washington and elsewhere who are you know, particularly in charge or quote in charge of, of a political party aren't actually focusing on the challenges people face. Right. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much uh, cultural debate there is when in reality, a lot of Americans are just figuring out. How is it that we can get by with this crushing economy? How do we get by given all of the challenges uh, that we face on a day-to-day basis? You know, here in California, you see gas, 6 $7 a gallon. Uh, price of milk is $1.50, $2 more now than it was last year. All of these challenges that we face, uh, and it doesn't seem like the elite, so to speak, are focused on the issues that really matter. And I think that he's right. By the way, sometimes that's not a problem with the Democratic Party. It's a problem with the Republican Party, too. Both parties have this problem of not speaking to the challenges that people are actually facing. And if they don't, uh, I, I think there's a serious challenge for uh, for people in the establishment if they're not willing to, to to speak to these issues.
3: So you're running for state control. You're making great inroads. Uh, experts say and political insiders reveal that you, you're probably going to get uh, had the best chance of winning a statewide vote as a Republican than anyone over the last 10 years what do you think is the climate now that allows someone like you a republican to have a shot at winning statewide office
16: well i think people are fed up first of all with uh, you know folks who get elected and don't do what they say they're going to do and for years we've had people trying to get elected at the federal level at the state level who have said they're going to go and bring accountability for what's happening in state government and federal government And then people go, and they become part of the problem. And here in California, we have these massive challenges. You know, we have uh, this unemployment insurance fraud that started during COVID. $20 billion went out the door to fraudsters from Russia and China uh, and, and, and other states. You have schools that are failing too many kids. You had schools that were shut down, first of all, for a long period of time during the pandemic. And now that they're reopened, you have massive learning loss. You've got kids from minority backgrounds, particularly Hispanic backgrounds, who've fallen behind. And yet more and more money is being pumped into these schools, and you wonder, well, what's happening? So I think people are frustrated because what they're seeing is all of this money being spent, all of the money going out the door, but the results and the outcomes aren't getting any better. And, and, and so that environment of really people being frustrated with what's going on. The other thing that I'm sure you've heard about, Brian... Rising crime here in California, you've got all sorts of different communities where break-ins have become common, where people don't feel safe and secure anymore. The combination of all these different factors leads people to want change. And I think that's the reason why we managed to to win the primary election. I was the first Republican in a very long time to win statewide in California. Uh, we are one of the, the, the favorites as we look ahead here going into the November election. And the reason why is because people are fed up.
3: Gavin Newsom not only wasn't recalled, he's maneuvering now, Lonnie, to, for, on the national stage, I guess, to try to get the nomination should Biden not read, try to run. He was on Truth Social, now he's got an uh, account there, debating conservatives. Does he really have a shot at a national office when he's done such a terrible job of, through the pandemic and beyond?
17: Well,
16: you know, he he might think he does. You know, the reality is that politics causes people to... Uh, to have all sorts of delusions of grandeur, and, and, and maybe Governor Newsom falls into that category. The, the the bigger problem, I think, is just that you've got all of these problems here in California, and the, the danger for someone like Gavin Newsom is looking like he doesn't understand that there are some serious challenges that people in the state are facing right now. And I, I think politicians run into trouble when they – are divorced from reality, when they're divorced from the reality of what people are facing and experiencing. And so while he's out there attacking uh, his fellow Californians, really, attacking people who disagree with his politics, attacking people who disagree with his ideological point of view, at the same time, you've got millions upon millions of Californians who are saying, wait a second, I I don't really care about politics right now. What I care about is how can we get inflation out of the way? How do we make things affordable again? How do we make sure that we can have a housing market that allows us to get quality, affordable housing in the place we want to get it? How do we make sure that we've got schools that are high-quality schools? How do we deal with these challenges with crime and break-ins and all these issues that are being presented in major California cities? And meanwhile, you've got Gavin Newsom out there just, you know, attacking and playing the political game. And I think that's really why. Um, he's, a, he's in danger. If he really, really wants to focus on running for president, I think he should focus on being a good governor first. Uh, and, and as we've seen historically, that kind of stuff tends to take care of itself. But uh, he, he unfortunately is not doing that right now. And all he's doing is he's using his position to grandstand as opposed to solving real
17: problems.
3: Uh, we're talking to Lonnie Chan. He's running for California state controller and by all accounts is making great progress. Lonnie, what would, would happen with. Uh, what happened with uh, uh, Chesa Bodine being recalled, and now you see the embarrassment, which is Gascon, and how cr- cr- it's the criminal first attitude that's running rampant in California to the point where this guy's going to get recalled, I hope too, and the woke DAs. Describe how crime is just permissive now in California, it seems, the birthplace of the smash and grab.
15: Well, th-
16: this is what led to what some people said would never happen, which was the recall of a far-left progressive district attorney in San Francisco, a guy named Chesa Boudin. Uh, by the way, that recall in San Francisco happened just a few months after people in San Francisco had had enough of an overly woke school board. And they got rid of, a, a, of some school board members who were more focused on renaming schools than educating kids in San Francisco. So you had the, their recall in the spring. Followed in June a few weeks ago by the recall of Chesa Boudin, a guy who was district attorney has basically allowed crime and and in particular crimes that are crimes of property as well as what he would call quote petty crimes but these are really quality of life crimes if you think about it people breaking and entering into cars property theft assault on the streets uh, these are the kinds of things that Chesa Boudin was not interested in prosecuting and so he lost the support of even liberal progressive voters in San Francisco and you had voters of Hispanic background and Asian background showing up to turn this guy out because they realized that their communities are less safe, less prosperous because of someone like Chesa Boudin. Now the next shoe to drop is going to be the DA in Los Angeles County, a guy named George Gaston who comes from the same school of thought as Chesa Boudin. Basically, we're going to allow criminals who commit what he believes are minor crimes to run rampant. Well, the problem with that is that it creates a culture of lawlessness, a culture of permissiveness. And when that happens, too many crimes go unpunished, and people continue to commit these crimes. You know, it's so crazy. The situation in L.A. has gotten bad enough that major companies don't want to do business in L.A. anymore. You've got major, uh, a major train Company Union Pacific that's talked about actually making sure their trains don't go through L.A. County because they're worried their conductors and engineers are going to get assaulted when their trains go through Los Angeles. So this is the kind of environment we have. And so we shouldn't be surprised that voters are saying, forget it. We've seen enough. We want people who will actually come in, who will abide by the rule of law, and who will make sure that our communities and our families are safe.
4: Is there
3: any sign that the Republican infrastructure as a legitimate party is rebuilding after the Schwarzenegger years?
16: You know, it's it's been a very long time uh, and there really hasn't been any focus on winning statewide. There, the, the infrastructure, I will tell you, I meet so many great men and women across the state who just want positive change, who want to bring accountability and responsibility back to government. But what they say to me overwhelmingly Is that the Republican Party in California for too long hasn't had the infrastructure. We haven't had the kinds of things you need, the basic blocking and tackling to win. I think things are getting better. We've got a great party chairwoman here in California. We have a lot of people who want to make things better. But the reality is that for so long, if you let, if you think about your own body, if you let a muscle atrophy, if you don't spend, if you don't use it for a long period of time, that muscle uh, weakens. And what we don't have in California is the right muscle memory to win big statewide elections. And so part of the challenge we face is how do we rebuild that? And that's one of the things I've been trying to do by going around the state, talking to people and saying, hey, let's have hope that there can be change. Someone who wants to bring back accountability and transparency and responsibility to how the state spends money, which is why I'm running for state controller. But beyond that, leaders who will stand up and say, listen, we need to put Californians first. We need to recognize that there are some serious problems we've got to solve. And if we don't solve them, then, you know, shame on us and shame on the Republican Party for not being able to solve them. So uh, I think, unfortunately, we have lost so many elections in California. People have lost a little bit of hope. But the message is don't lose hope. Continue to look ahead because the next election is only a few months away and we can turn the tide.
3: How real is this? Los Angeles residents from from California moving to Mexico because it's cheaper to live. And they can do telecommuting and work.
16: Yeah, we've lost too many Californians to other states. And now, as as you've indicated, other countries. And it's ridiculous that people cannot afford to live and work in California. This is a place that was the cradle of innovation, the the, the most creative place in the world for so long. And I can't tell you how many families I know that have left California because they can't make it work. They cannot make it work financially here anymore. The economy is crushing people. Gas prices, housing prices are crushing people. And, And you know the worst part of this? is that I I get into arguments with some of our progressive friends and some Democrats here in California who say people aren't leaving the state. It's all a lie. People aren't leaving the state. And it's like, you know what? I got news for you. They are. California (laughs) lost a congressional seat for the first time in a long time. And it's like, why do you deny reality? It's right before your eyes. Instead of trying to argue people aren't leaving, how about we fix the problem? How about we make California a more affordable place to live? But, you know, this is part of the issue we have in our politics now is people deny very, very basic realities like this
3: one. I want you to hear what Bill Maher said. Uh, and to, I want you to weigh in and, and, and answer his question. Cut 16.
7: If Biden does step down or say he's going to step down, then the Democrats have, and we've all noticed this, a problem. Like, but who? Right. And he mentioned, who is there? Bill Clinton who's going to come along? And I thought, OK, well, Clinton and Obama, obviously the last two successful Democrats, is is there a Bill Clinton or Barack Obama out there, or is such a broadly centrist Democrat no longer even really possible? What are you? What are your thoughts? Well, you're not going to
16: find the the centrist or the reasonable alternative in California, that's for sure. And and as I look around, I think Bill Maher's got a point. That, you know, if you look at the National Democratic Party and you look at the state party here in California, it's the same trend. There is a desire to move farther to the left, away from concerns that people actually have on a day-to-day basis. Think about all the different things they focused on in the last year. They focused on defunding the police. They focused on making our country less secure. They focused on how we can have higher taxes and more regulation, less energy production, in an economic environment where people are getting crushed. And you tell me why they have a political problem. They don't have a political problem. They have an actual policy problem, which is that their solutions are bankrupt. Uh, they're bankrupt, and they'll bankrupt our country. And so the, the reality is that when you talk about reasonable folks – and I talk to a lot of very, very reasonable Democrats who say, can we please just have a Democratic Party that's focused on economic concerns, that's focused on solving people's problems as opposed to how we can spend more money? And how we can increase the role of government. and I, and I think that is the biggest challenge that the Democratic Party faces is that that they have been co-opted and controlled by some people from uh, really the very, very progressive side of the spectrum. I mean I think about the about my opponent in the general election and and her focus is really not on trying to make California more accountable and responsible, but how we can make California more of a far left progressive haven and and you know that might appeal to some people and that's fine but i would argue the broad majority of californians the broad majority of americans they don't want that they just want schools where kids can learn communities where housing is affordable and 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 communities that are safe and and by yeah. the way they just want to work and play by the rules and that's not where most democrats unfortunately in the party are right now in the in the leadership of the party are
3: right now. yeah they're talking about uh hormone blockers and crt and uh, the apologizing for whiteness and they're like, excuse me, it uh, gas is seven dollars a gallon. Uh, can I can we tackle this please and stop vilifying uh, the oil and gas companies while uh, demanding they pump more, Lonnie Chen? It seems reasonable and logical. Maybe that'll lead you to victory. I hope so. You're running for California State Controller. Thanks, Lonnie.
16: Hey, thanks for having me.
3: All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. This is the Brian Kilmeade show. We're going to come back and take your calls. Uh, don't move
2: both sides all opinions it's brian kilmeade breaking news unique opinions hear it all on the brian kilmeade show
8: Cereal giant Kellogg announced today that they will be splitting into three separate companies, one focused on cereals, one focused on snacks, and one focused on plant-based foods. And the fact that cereal isn't included in plant-based foods (laughs) really makes you wonder, what are they putting in that stuff? (laughs) It's a shame. It's a shame Kellogg is officially splitting up, but don't worry, Snap, Crackle & Pop will still get to see each other every third weekend.
3: (laughs) That's pretty funny, right? And it is so weird to see that headline, Kellogg's focusing
13: more on snacks. Agreed. And I mean, I, that, that point that in the first joke, if cereal isn't in plant-based foods, where should it go?
3: Uh, I'm not sure. Right? <laughs> uh, let's find out if there's more to know.
4: More to know.
3: Rob Garkowski's retiring again. He's got four titles, 33 years old. Everyone's happy he's going to retire, but no one believes it. Do you believe he's going to come back? You know so much about tight ends.
13: <laughs> I know a lot about tight ends. Um I mean never say never, right? But I heard I'll cheat, I heard what you were saying to Ansley today. Come out and, of retirement to join Brady
3: on I, Fox Sports. I could see that that would be great. A lot of people say he'll join Brady in November. He doesn't go through training camp and get beat up during the year, just go for another title run. But we'll see. He was great on Fox Sports, they should hire him.
13: He does have a personality that like, you know, over it like overlaps. Like you I see him, I know him, his commercials are great. Right. Yeah.
3: How about this? The PGA Tour steps up response to rival Live Golf League with now Jay Monahan. Met with players on Tuesday ahead of this week's Travelers Championship to discuss changes to the schedule. Uh, They'll have limited no-cut events with purses of $20 million or more for the top 50 finishes in the prior season FedEx Cup standings. They quickly are increasing all this prize money all in response to, to Greg Norman's league that they said is if you play in his league, you're done. Then they get Brooks
13: Kepka, another top five player. He goes to the Live League and said, suspend me. I don't care. Doesn't this prove that competition is good, right? It's forcing the PGA to up their game now on prize money. It makes
3: you wonder, why, why didn't you give more? Because it was the only game in town. Exactly. I, I'm just, thinking, I just think it's good for golfers, and I cannot believe how defensive P- the PGA is. I don't know how long they can keep this way.
2: From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Thanks so much for being here, buddy. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. In a matter of moments, we're going to welcome in uh, Martha McCallum. And at the bottom of the arrow, we're going to have uh, Bill Hammer. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. 7669 uh, we also going to uh, take your calls. And we're all supposed to have Chris Christie today, aren't we? Okay, he's on the line because I didn't see. Okay, there we go, because I didn't think he made the cut. He did make the cut. Yes, he always makes the cut. You never know. We have to we review all everybody's tapes and we have to say can't make any promises. No, I see. Now I was looking at the wrong page. My bad. Let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three.
0: Number three. Overnight, the Senate took its first steps towards passing major gun-related legislation. The bill is a bipartisan deal that would expand gun background checks for people under 21, allowing up to 10 business days to review juvenile and mental health records. It provides federal money for states enacting new red flag laws designed to temporarily seize guns from people deemed dangerous. And it closes the so-called boyfriend loophole. Well, we'll have to see. Gun reform is queued up for release this
3: week. Money for school security, mental health incentives for states to implement red flag laws. You heard about the boyfriend clause. We'll see how it's implemented. But on the service, it looks like it does have 10 Republican votes. Will you support it? Will it make us safer? Let's discuss it.
4: Number two. If Biden is capable, he will try to run again. I mean, it's not like he's actually working at the job. The danger for the world is that a United States that instead of having a commander-in-chief has a comedian-in-chief, that It's very
3: dangerous for us and for the rest of the world. Primaries in presidential run. We will bring you the latest from Virginia, from Georgia, and Alabama. What it tells us about the power of Trump and other GOP heavyweights as they evaluate a possible run for the presidency themselves with or without Trump in, in the race.
5: Number one. The question about the Chevron CEO's complaint today, <coughs> he said that your administration has largely criticized the oil and gas industry,
4: and at times vilified it. It's mildly sensitive. I didn't know they get their feelings hurt that quickly. Look, we need more refining capacity.
3: Unbelievable. President Biden showing anything but leadership as he mocks oil and gas executives' legitimate response to all his barbs and claims. And the American people pay the price at the pump because of it. But don't worry, he's gonna take 18 cents off every gallon of gas we pump. And it's only gonna cost us our infrastructure. Joining me now, Governor Chris Christie, uh, former governor of New Jersey, author of "Republican Rescue: uh, Saving the Party from Truth Deniers, Conspiracy Theorists, and the Dangerous Policies of Joe Biden." Chris, welcome back.
14: Good to be back, Brian. Glad I made the cut. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I would just say,
3: what happened? Um, I didn't see you on the sheet. It was my bad. Uh, Always so,
14: here when we when you need me, Brian. Always here.
3: That's all I need. I just need uh, you there all the time, twenty four hours a day, and stop focusing on your family and your future.
14: <laughs> so, Excellent. so, so
3: deal. you got it. So, Governor, first off, what about President Biden? You're not one to shy away from sarcasm and direct answers. But what about his legit his response to the letters that he got from the Chevron CEO? I didn't know I hurt his feelings. Essentially,
14: you know, look, this is a guy who is clueless. He is clueless about what to do with the gas price problem in the country. It's very easy to fix this, Brian. If you allowed and gave certainty to the oil companies that you were not going to pull their permits, that you were going to allow them to execute on their leases and do so right away, they would invest in the infrastructure and ramp up production here in the United States in places like North Dakota, uh, in places like Texas, uh, you know, in places like Alaska. They would do it. But the problem is this administration has made it clear that they want to wage a war. Against Fossil fuels in this country Um, and and the result of that war is us paying six dollars a gallon for gasoline and I I can just tell you that you know Joe Biden is strangling this industry He's doing it on purpose because he is paying homage to the far left wing of his party and the radical environmentalists who think somehow uh, we're going to be able to uh, you know get ourselves out of this problem uh, with electric cars and solar energy um, and that's not going to happen.
3: Well, it isn't. uh, But, you know, I remember, you know, it wasn't too long ago when the Tea Party sprung up after the first two years of Barack Obama. And it was because of his apology tour. It was because of his uh, uh, Obamacare. And that was pretty substantial. The overturn in the election that he lost 63 seats and should have lost the Senate, too. This seems bigger, right? This seems this seems much bigger uh, a problem for Democrats. Am I right?
14: I I think you are right. I think what. we're going to see here is all across the country, um, folks of every economic level are being impacted by what's happening. The incredible increase in prices all across the board um, in everything. It's not just gas. He tries to focus it as being just on gas. But we know going to the supermarket is significantly more expensive than it used to be. And everything else that you want to try to buy in this country is significantly more. And we also now see interest rates going up because, and that's going to cause a recession in this country. So people are worried about whether they're going to still be employed. They're worried about whether they're still going to have the ability to make money. That's going to make them spend even less money than they would. And the little bit that they are willing to spend, they're putting it in their gas tank. Um, And and this president sits around and tries to blame that on Vladimir Putin. Um, You know, the person to blame is Joe Biden. His radical spending caused this inflation and that inflation is now forcing the Fed to raise interest rates, and those in higher interest rates is going to, are going to cause a recession.
3: I spent yesterday in Virginia with Governor Youngkin just did a day in the life, like I've done with uh, DeSantis, Tim Scott, and others, just to see what an average day is like. And also they're looked at as uh, substantial, ca- you know, substantial stars uh, on the political landscape. And the one thing is pretty clear, in a purple state like Virginia, they get the sense that every seat is in play. When you look at New York and you ran the uh, the RGA, you really didn't go get behind Rob Astorino, He had no shot against Governor Cuomo. Plus, in my belief is that you kind of got along with you and Governor Cuomo kind of got along. Do you think it's different now when you look at Hochul and you look at uh, Zeldin, uh, who seems to be the front runner on the right in New York?
14: Look, I think that what we're seeing now in in 2022 may be a repeat of 2010. Um, and, and that was the Obama year that you talked about before he threw seats. We did well in 2014, but we didn't do nearly as well as they did in 2010. And, and, I, and in 2010, um, you know, Cuomo won in New York in 2010, um, but that state could have very well been put in play. People don't know Kathy Hochul in New York. They don't have a history with Kathy Hochul in New York. And we're going to have to see who wins that primary in New York still, uh, the Republican primary for governor. Certainly, Zelden appears to be the front runner. Um, but there's no doubt that if you're the RGA, you need, because remember, uh, you know, we only lost New Jersey last year by three points. Um, and I think circumstances are much more favorable on Election Day 2022 for Republicans than they were on Election Day 2021, because even more of this stuff is sinking into the public, and they're blaming on the Democrats and their policies.
3: Governor Christie, obviously our guest. Uh, Governor, you had a little bit of a dust-up yet. last night. You were just doing what you always do, like you do on every Sunday show. And you were asked a question about January 6th, and David Muir is the anchor. And he, uh, this is how the exchange went, Cut 17.
8: This goes all the way back to 2000 with George W. Bush, when you had supporters of Al Gore who, even after Vice President Gore, Conceded the election and certified it himself um, as the president of the Senate, refused to accept George W. Bush as legitimate. You've had Hillary Clinton say that she still doesn't accept the 2016 election results as legitimate. This is a very dangerous thing in this country, which was brought to a new level in 2020. But by I do have to, Trump I have to interrupt, right there because
10: you also know, Governor, Al Gore stood before the nation and actually conceded uh, and did something very different well, I from said what we witnessed. David. Yeah. And I just don't want our audience to think that I'm not aware that there isn't. To a real equivalency here when you have a, a former president who is sowing the, uh, the seeds of doubt.
3: You said even after Al Gore conceded and certified the election himself, you said that clearly. Did that yep. frustrate you? You didn't get to finish your thought?
14: Yes, it frustrated me a great deal um, because look, we have to, if we're going to be honest, we need to be honest on both sides of the aisle, Brian. And there were Democrats In 2001, who stood up, the Congressional Black Caucus and a number of others who joined them in 2001 and tried to object to Al Gore certifying the election for George W. Bush, despite the fact that Al Gore conceded. That's what started all this. Then you get to 2016, and there you had the candidate for president in Hillary Clinton saying that she did not consider Donald Trump's election to be legitimate despite the fact that there was absolutely no indication of it being illegitimate. This is a very dangerous thing to do. And I said that Donald Trump has brought it to a totally different level. Um, you know, this is the problem. You know, there are folks in the in, in the media and other places that don't want to hear the whole history. And, you know, I'm not going to go on ABC or anyplace else and not lay out the whole. Be clear that Al Gore conceded the race. So that made it much different than what was going on with Donald Trump. Um, But, you know, I didn't get to finish my point on that one. But, you know, me, Brian, I'm relentless and I will continue to make the point because it's the truth. And Democrats may not want to hear that they that they objected to the certification of the electoral vote in 2000 with George W. Bush. But it is the fact of what happened. And we know that that election was legitimate. It's been recounted three or four times and he's won Florida every time. And, you know, we're, we're going to be bound to repeat history if we don't confront it directly and that's what I was doing on ABC and David Muirin or anybody else is going to stop me from saying what I really think
3: absolutely plus if I remember correctly that's how you work for the Bush campaign right and did you help with the legal team to get through the election yeah. mess
14: I was the, I, was the, I was the president's legal counsel in New Jersey um, uh, for the campaign in 2000 so I'm very familiar with the legal issues in that case Um, Very familiar with what went on um, and very familiar with the fact that right up until, uh, you know, election certification day in 2001, there were still elements of the Democratic Party um, who stood up and tried to object um, on the floor of the House to the certification of those votes. And they couldn't have a vote because there was not one even Democratic senator who would say that the election had been illegitimate. But there were Democrats in the House and obviously supporters all across the country of Al Gore's who never accepted George Bush as legitimate. And that set a dangerous precedent that has now gone on for the last 20 years.
3: 100 percent. And there's video of Joe Biden, vice president, gaveling down his own own senators because they wouldn't agree to certify Donald Trump's election in 2016. And he had to finally
14: gavel him down. It's exactly right. And, and and that was also contributed to by the fact that their candidate was saying that the election was not legitimate.
3: And then you figure about Stacey Abrams still has not admitted that she lost. And I believe she's in route to she's trailing by about five points points in most polls. She is not gaining traction. She was looked at as an up and coming star by by losing uh, by losing and not admitting it. In fact, half of Hollywood said we're no longer going to shoot in Georgia because it's so upset that Stacey Abrams was robbed of the governorship. And tell me this is not a bad trend. I think both parties have to agree exactly what you said. Election, go ahead and challenge with lawyers. Don't go ahead and try to challenge elections because it should be about the country. It shouldn't be about your own political future.
14: That's exactly right. And look, I wonder after Stacey Abrams loses the second time to Brian Kemp, whether she actually can see that she's lost either one of them. But, you know, there's certain elements of the media that don't want to talk about the Democratic side of this. They only want to talk about the Republican side of it. That doesn't make the Republican side right, Brian. I think you and I both agree. Everybody has the right to challenge elections through the courts if they believe that there's something that's to miss. But once the courts make those decisions, it is time to move on. That did not happen with Al Gore and George W. Bush, with many of Al Gore's supporters. It happened with Al Gore, and he did concede the race and did preside over the certification. But it didn't happen with a lot of his supporters. That's part of the history here that we all have to acknowledge and live with as a country, and we need to stop it. And the only way to stop it is to confront those truths on both sides of the aisle, not just on one.
3: All right, a couple of things. Uh, from what you know of this gun, how, I don't know how close you looked at this gun legislation that Senator Cornyn helped shepherd through, along with some others, and Senator Murphy. Uh, this, they're, going, look, they're going to put some money aside to entice states to, uh, and put in place red flag laws. They're going to put money aside, $1.35 billion for grants for mental health services for schools, also uh, for security for schools. And there's some other things in there. For example, 10 days, if you're just turned 18, for them to get a background check and make sure you're not having mental problems, like we saw with the Buffalo shooter and the Uvalde shooter. From what you've seen, even though we haven't seen the final legislation, is there anything that would stop you from voting for it?
14: The only thing that would stop me from voting for this is the fact that I haven't seen the whole legislation. And, you know, when I was Governor, Brian, this used to frustrate the heck out of me that, you know, in the legislature would put together a big piece of legislation and that no one would even have time to look at it before they voted on it. I think everybody should know exactly what's in it. Conceptually, do am I happy about the fact that they're going to put aside uh, mental health, additional mental health dollars? Absolutely, because I've said all along that when you look at the people who commit the overwhelming majority of these mass shootings, these are people who have serious mental health issues, and should have been given help and forced to get help before this kind of thing happens. So that kind of stuff is encouraging to me. But I'd like, you know, I'm one of those guys who actually likes to read something before I vote for it. Um, And I hope that they give people the time to be able to scrutinize this before they vote on it, Brian, because otherwise we're not doing a service to the public. Shining light on this stuff is never a bad thing. It's always a good thing. And I am encouraged by the fact that Republicans and Democrats were able to come together, talk, and believe that they have something that both sides can support. That's a good thing. Let's just see exactly what it says right. before anybody says I'm for it.
3: I, only, I have less than a minute, but I worry about the red flag law. You know, the domestic partner, they break up. I know he loves guns. I'm going to go say that I feel threatened. My neighbor hates guns, knows I like to shoot. Well, I, he makes me worried. Uh, I Don't you worry about the red flag law being abused?
14: I worry about the way these things are instituted always, always, Brian, because as a lawyer— I know that there's a lot of room that you could play with something in a courtroom. And so there's got to be some very specific language if they're going to do this that restricts the kind of people who can raise these issues and also takes into account any biases they may have, either personal or political.
3: But That's why Governor Christie made the cut. He answers the question, and I let him finish his answer, unlike ABC. Although Thanks. 77 WBC we like.
2: Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade,
3: Bill Hemmer and Martha McAlmy here for a couple of minutes. I went a little long with Governor Christie. A lack of discipline that you two professional anchors <laughs> never would have fallen prey to. <laughs> you would never have extended. He doesn't your block. like to
1: talk either. I am surprised you got him to talk for a while. I know. He opinion.
3: <laughs> hey, Bill, don't you think yeah. he's a great guest? I mean, Governor Christie. He's a great talker, right? And you, can but he on... also he doesn't mind running oh, his own with, party.
17: I, th- I, th- I think he likes the give and take.
1: He's which always, which, yeah. which makes
17: Absolutely. a good interview,
3: right? On the Sunday shows yeah. in particular. I mean, yeah. he's the only reason to watch this week with George Stephanopoulos because he number one, George Stephanopoulos lets him talk, mm-hmm. unlike David Muir, and number two <laughs> is he's the only one who he likes the argument. That's where lawyers are. I mean, usually mm-hmm. they usually like they're used to debating. Yeah.
1: He loves the, he loves the argument and he's not afraid to make it and to kind of stick his neck out in places that sometimes makes some people in his own party. Um, not comfortable, but yeah, he is who he is. And that's what makes him interesting to listen to because he's unpredictable.
3: Right. Um, so, Bill and uh, Martha, Bill, you're done for the day, right? You can go to the showers? I got a few things to do. Like
17: what? I got to
3: do you, and then I got to do something
17: after this oh, right really? down the hall. And then we've got a big event tonight. You have a podcast. You're gonna, that you're going to hear about. You have a big uh, We're going to do the rundown tonight. today uh, based on the results last night. But. Martha, how long's it been since you and I have
3: been here with Brian?
1: It's been a while. It it's has fun. been. A, it Just has like been the a bit. we
3: were probably we were probably on the 18th floor.
4: Yes, it's for like sure. It's like a concert
1: yeah. reunion. Right. <laughs>
3: Are you is, is Bill well, is he welling up? Martha, I can't tell. He's welling it's up. He's emotional sometimes.
1: sometimes.
2: the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: This goes all the way back to 2000 with George W. Bush, when you had supporters of Al Gore who, even after Vice President Gore conceded the election and certified it himself um, as the president of the Senate. Refused to accept George W. Bush as legitimate. You've had Hillary Clinton say that she still doesn't accept the 2016 election results as legitimate. This is a very dangerous thing in this country, which was brought to a new level in 2020. But by I do have to, I have to interrupt right there campaign. because
10: you also know, Governor, Al Gore stood before the nation and actually conceded uh, and did something very different oh, from I said what that, we've witnessed. Yeah. And I just don't want our audience to think that I'm not aware that there isn't a real equivalency here when you have a, a former president who is sowing the Uh, The seeds of doubt.
3: So David Muir was totally wrong. If you go back in the text, he said Al Gore certified the election and still himself. And still there were people that wouldn't accept it as. And they said he was illegitimate for the next four years because he worked for George Bush back then. And George Bush won. We all heard, uh, by the way, Bill Hemmer, Martha McCallum here, we all heard That George Bush was an illegitimate president, right? If they they counted all of Florida, he would have lost. And if it wasn't, the Supreme Court justice gave it to him. But it turns out they did recount all of Florida, and he did win Florida, despite the fact that his brother uh, was governor. That's really when this challenging of elections started. Was that a valid point in your mind, Martha?
1: Well, you know, I think you can point to a number of different instances, including Hillary Clinton, who for four years in 2016 called Donald Trump, an illegitimate president. She said he knows he's illegitimate. He knows he is not in that office because he was legitimately elected. She said everyone knows, and he knows that it was Russian intervention that put him in that office. The, 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 the fact that this gets ignored by so many in the media that she repeatedly and, you know, and then layer on underneath that, really, because it was the basis of it, the entire Russia collusion narrative hoax, which was the biggest stain on the U.S. press in my lifetime. Um, and they
3: still keep their trophies and they get their promotions. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. They, they kept their Pulitzer Prizes um, to, to not accept that that was one of the most poisonous ground Seeping events that continued to put in people's minds that you know elections are sort of fungible they're you know they they're not necessarily what they they appear to be was devastating I think to the process
17: it's interesting you know just watching these hearings and Martha, you were anchoring the what was it day four yesterday or or am I losing count?
1: I think it was day, day four. four. Yes. So
17: we, we have at least two more to go, right? We do. Or five and six at a Well, minute. now
1: they're saying they're going to extend them. They have new evidence and they'd like to keep going,
17: uh-huh. says Jamie
1: Raskin today. Um,
17: I, I, my guess is the viewership drops a little bit every time. Um, that notwithstanding, I, I thought yesterday was sort of powerful. You know, hearing from the African-American woman from Atlanta in Fulton County who who said her life was turned upside down and her her mom on that deposition table, that's pretty powerful stuff. I think what they've done is they've packaged it well. But I've never known politicians to read off a teleprompter. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're doing for two hours. So they're they're getting what they want. I still wish, though, we had the opportunity to hear a a counter-opinion. Because I think it would make it even more interesting than what they've expressed so far. And if we could get some of these questions about security, what were you told? What did you do? What did you not do? What requests came in? Uh, what came before your desk? What, what never reached you? I think that's vital to the future security of Washington, D.C.
3: Absolutely. And that would be something that you would think Republicans would bring up, and they'll bring up, too. I watch other channels, too, uh, to see how who's covering what and what have you. And what they're saying is they do have a Republican opinion. It's Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, but they're not playing the role of Republicans. Liz Cheney is is more aggressive than Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff should not be on that panel. He's lost all credibility. Why are people mm-hmm. pretending that he should be taken seriously? It's beyond me. Why, get, why does that guy still have a job? Well, it's up to the people of California. But he should not be on that panel, which is why he didn't lead the second impeachment, I thought. So he's still asking questions. But what you're doing is, see, uh, Bill, you brought up the best point. They're producing a TV show. That's why it's on Prompter. Okay, it's a point of view. That, you know, I can watch in the E! Channel, and I could find out what the E! Channel thought about this. I am watching what Democrats thought happened that day. A lot of it is fact, and it is true. Many Trump people thought that Donald Trump was, out of his, uh, was not um, basing any of his legal offense on fact. We know that uh, the Rudy Giuliani team— uh, totally let us down. He had no proof to almost anything he was saying. And when I say us, I mean the American people. But the question is better of if you have a trusted lawyer that tells you you've been robbed in six separate states by in the multiple counties, and I will prove it to you, you might go, yeah, I believe Rudy. Why don't you believe Rudy? Uh, guys, so you never heard that argument of people going, you know, the president of the United States really trusts Rudy Giuliani more than anybody else. And now we find out that Ivanka was telling that documentarian that the president, my dad, has every right to fight in December to keep fighting. So Ivanka had was had one little edit. She said, um, "We we lost." But in December, she's telling a documentarian that I want my dad to keep fighting. Okay, so Ivanka says keep fighting. Rudy says keep fighting. Mark Meadows says keep fighting. The attorney general says stop fighting. His A-team of Trump lawyers say stop fighting. And Donald Trump has problems losing. That's how he ended up in this spot. I can't excuse his behavior, though.
1: Let me just a couple of points on that. With regard to Ivanka, I think that story is being misrepresented because both of those things can be true. She can have said to her father, yes, she was. She what I believe she said, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, is you should exhaust all legal avenues to see if you are correct about this, to see if there was uh, any election fraud, right? And then she said that when she heard Bill Barr say that he believed that there wasn't anywhere further to go, that she accepted that. Both of those things can be absolutely true. And the way that it's being played on uh, other media outlets is that she said one thing in this place and another thing in that place. I I don't think that's fair. One point I would make about and and a point I made yesterday, which got picked up, I think, inaccurately, um, is that I said there was no opposition questioning going on. Uh, in this hearing, true, and it's true. Uh, people said, "Oh, there's two Republicans." You know, doesn't Martha McCallum realize that? Yes, of course, I realize that. I said there are no opposition questioning, and you know where I would have really liked to have heard this opposition questioning. The the election worker who was very compelling, uh, and she told a devastating story about the impact on her life and her mom's life. But the, the what's underlying all of this is the fact that we had fifty something lawsuits won by Mark Elias during COVID to expand voting rules to a place where they have never been before, to expand the pre-election process, uh, how long you could vote, Places where every single person who had ever voted got a ballot sent to them. These ballots in some places are stacked up in the apartment building mailroom, right? Because the people, oh, I don't know if they live here anymore, right? So we had an extraordinary situation here where you had a very different way of voting and not a, a clean custody of these ballots. This is all true. I would have liked to have asked that election worker, how did it change the way you did your job? What was different this time around because of the way that – and she talked about, oh, we went out and you know, we, we bring ballots to people who have disabilities. We bring ballots to the elderly at nursing homes. we bring. Ba-. I'd like to ask some questions about how all of that worked. Some
17: great points. Those um, are excellent points. Yeah, I, I think anecdotally. Uh, What I think about during that week of the election is a friend of mine called me from New Jersey, and she said, Hemmer, how's this election going to go? I said, I guess we'll find out together. she said, well, all I know is that I live in the state of New Jersey, and I've been mailed two ballots by the state, and both ballots spelled my name wrong. And I would go on with my answer, and she'd go, all all I know is that I live in the state of New Jersey. They sent me two ballots, and both ballots spelled my name wrong. There's just one case one example, one house in the state of New Jersey, right. a state that may not have mattered. Quickly, uh, on the Liz Cheney point, I've been tracking these 10 Republicans who voted for impeachment. Uh, they may all be out of office come January of 2023. Two or three are still fighting for the possibility of, of uh, keeping their job. Uh, but there's a real good chance if they don't succeed, um, all ten, you could go 0 for 10 by the time Congress convenes in January.
3: Right, and some of self-inflicted, they they retire, and Liz Cheney obviously is going to get blown out in the primary. Martha, to your point, my whole thing is, Donald Trump is absolutely right to doubt, because of these new election rules, that we got a, a correct result. But what you do in life, and I don't think I'm arguing with you here, is say, I have real problems with what's going on with these mail in ballots and these anecdotal stories. So I put my legal team on it. They're going to be looking at it over the next month. But in the meantime, President Biden, I'm going to, Vice President Biden, I'm going to invite you to the White House. I'm going to tour you around because um, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And if not, I'll see you in four years and we'll do this again. If he had done that, his approval rate would be about 70% right now because almost everything that Donald Trump did during his election during his presidency, is being undone, and we're all paying the price for it.
1: I think that's absolutely true. I, I don't think that is in the nature of the former president. Uh, he's he's a fighter. I think he approached this situation not as, you, you know, sort of president of the United States, but as, you know, someone who wanted to win, like he always did in his business life, right? There's always a way. There's always a legal battle. There's always a way. And I think that just, you know, from, just from observing him over the years, um, my— assessment is that that's, he came to it from that place. And the biggest mistake, and you know, many people have said this, is that they went down the Dominion voting route, right? They said that the machines weren't working right. And that, I think, was an avenue that obviously didn't bear any fruit. And that is why all of these People that we hear from during these hearings in Republican office across the country said, "Look, give me something. I, I supported you. I voted for you. Um, give me something to work with mm-hmm. here. Send me lists of dead voters. Right? Give me something." And Rudy's, they did, they couldn't get anything. And maybe, we all tried too, as reporters and anchors. Um, and, and you know, nothing was please, coming back. Yeah, please, like Rudy's office. Please send us what you're talking about. Um, I'd be happy to look at the evidence. And we got nothing either. So um, that's very problematic. That's stunning, as all, I said all yesterday. Lindsey Graham
3: wanted that too. Lindsey Graham said, "If you just show me two hundred, instead, and I'll say mm. that to representative." The 20,000. But you, get, he goes, you got it. You got it Monday.
17: Listen, he never did. In hindsight, all we got were press conferences and words, right? And we, right. we were given no evidence or facts. And like you Mar- said
1: yesterday, theories, but not evidence. Y- correct. <laughs> and
17: I, I think you're right about Ivanka. I mean, both can be true. You know, yeah. y- you want to fight until the very end. I, I would want to if I were in that same position. Let me exhaust the legal avenues. But when you've, you've got no proof, you've got to call it a day. Brian, to your point, I, I think this is fine to look in the rearview mirror because you, you rightly mentioned a lot of people are paying for the policies that, that this administration has, mm-hmm. has brought. And th- this is their choice. This is their decision. Elections have consequences. What Trump could have done on January 19th, 19th? Yeah, I think 20th Or even was, January yeah. 5th, if you want to go that early in the month. He could have called a press conference, put all of his policies on a board, and said, this is what we've done over the last four years. Now, I'm going to leave. I'm going to Florida. I'm going to watch what the new administration does. And together we're going to see what they do with the policies that
3: we've established for America. And I'm going to answer when I'm not happy with the decisions they made. And do what Teddy Roosevelt did, decide to come back. <laughs> and he, it didn't work for him because he had to split his own party to do it. But this party would have been waiting for him. He would have put, they would have parted the Red Seas. Especially now. Yeah. yeah right. Absolutely. But instead he blew it. Yeah, and I think the best example is what's happened with this oil and gas. How many times did President Trump open up the doors of the White House and debate guns mm-hmm. and major issues in front of everybody? He said, keep the cameras in here, and let's have the heads of you know heads of of uh, businesses come in. Let's figure this out. That's what he would do with oil and gas. And you know he wasn't. By the way, he leaned. You know he wasn't for, against solar panels and wind. He wasn't. He's not one of those guys who thinks that. We can't uh, have cleaner energy. But he never would have done this in a million years.
1: Well, the problem is, you know, you you can't, until you're ready to, you know, the example I give is, like, if you're going to renovate your house, right, you don't, or you're going to buy a new house, you don't move out of your old house, you don't knock down the house before you have a house to live in. There's no house to live in with green energy yet, okay? So we have to keep our house right now, and we have to make sure that we have the energy that we need um, until that's ready. And yes, President Trump was an all-of-the-above person when it comes to energy, was interested. Yes. Yes, he would have opened the doors and brought in all of these executives. Instead, you have this stupid adversarial relationship with the oil companies at a time when it doesn't serve anybody – Uh, in terms of lowering prices. So, I mean, and President Biden keeps talking about what a capitalist he is all the time, but I don't see any actual demonstration of that anywhere. No.
17: Listen to your listeners. Go check out the letter that was written by the CEO of Chevron. Oh, absolutely. It's powerful. It's pointed. And he concludes
3: by saying the American
17: people are hurting because of the decisions you're making. And And Biden
1: said, I didn't know they were going to be so sensitive.
3: Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. In fact, uh, before we go to break, I just want everyone to hear that. We'll play the whole thing. but We'll play some of it, Eric. Uh, That is cut number one.
5: A question on the Chevron CEO's complaint today, he said that your administration has largely criticized the oil and gas industry and at times vilified it and that the administration would need to take a change in approach in order to make progress on, on reducing energy prices and to increase supply. Do you have a reaction to that, sir? It's mildly
4: sensitive. I didn't know they'd get their feelings hurt that quickly. <laughs> so, I
3: mean. How does that help? Um, I mean, by the way, it's just a sober letter. It isn't like he's going against a political opponent. He thinks it's politics when it's oil and gas. But don't worry. We can save 18 cents a gallon. mm. Um, but we're not going to have that revenue. Uh, when we come back, uh, Martha and Bill will tell us what they're doing later. Uh, Martha, will you tell us what's on your show, or are you going to hold out?
1: Yeah, we have a good show coming up. Well, but there used I to be will.
3: this thing called More to Know. Is there? I know. Is there not
17: More I guess to we know? know?
1: I don't feel I mean, like back, back I don't know everything da- quite uh, yet. I don't know about you. Back in the you. day,
3: on Floor 18, there was
1: always More, <laughs> humor, <Mark. Don't, laughs> oh, I think more to Know, Martha. Fox Nation viewers
3: will be We'll have More to Know. Because <laughs> <laughs> we are a show that gives the public and the anchors what they want. Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show, back in a moment.
2: Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
5: Hi,
12: my name is Johnny, and I use he, him pronouns.
5: Hi, and I'm Conchi, and I use she, her pronouns.
12: And we're here to talk about pronouns. Using the right pronouns is a really simple way to affirm someone's identity. is a signal of acceptance and respect.
5: Do not pressure anybody into giving you their pronouns. Some people may be going through the process of discovery and they are not ready yet to tell you what their pronouns are, and that's okay.
12: Instead of saying something like, hey guys, you can say, hey everyone, or hey team. Some names are very difficult to pronounce, but do you know what is very easy to pronounce? She, he, they.
3: Unbelievable. That's West Point getting there, yep. getting there. And the Naval Academy, too.
17: How unbelievable is that? Pete Hegseth oh was with us uh, uh, about an hour ago, and he said, listen, when I was leading a platoon in Iraq, and there was only, you know, uh, one thing out there, and that's that we were human beings. We had each other's back, and there were no colors. It was all, it was all green. Sickening. And mm-hmm. we, we bled red blood, and we were one.
1: Yeah, I'll say one thing. You know, the whole thing when you go into the military, they give you a crew cut and they give you a uniform, and women wear their hair back because the whole point is to be a team, to blend in together. It's not about individualism. That goes somewhere else, not in the military.
3: Let's, uh, Martha, who's going to be on your show?
1: So I have today uh, Yelsey Vega, who is the GOP nice. nominee in yes, Texas. Sure. Uh, very interesting story. It comes right on the on the back of the Myra Flores uh, election in that primary in Texas. So uh, Miss Vega is Virginia. That's going to be a really interesting conversation. Also, John Kennedy and Roland Gutierrez is with me. Um, He is, you know, has been leading the charge on what happened in Uvalde, which we've been covering very closely, and we have some brand new developments today.
3: All right, let's find out if there's more to know the first time done by three together. Let's do it. (laughs) Bill, start us off.
17: First story. Uh, here we go. Buccaneers tight end Rob Gronkowski retires after winning four titles with longtime teammate Tom Brady in Tampa Bay and New England. His agent says another return is possible. <laughs> How Martha, <does> he retire? <laughs> do you want to see Gronk back on the field? Uh, I was
1: just going to say, as long as he goes to the Patriots, it's okay with me. I'm going to have had it with this whole Buccaneers I wanna, adventure. I'm
3: willing to give up money, if you guys will too, to get Gronkowski into the foxfold. Will you give some of your salary to bring him I in? I would bring the Gronk on board. All right,
17: Bill good. said I'm yes. O- I'm okay with that. <laughs> <right>. I don't <laughs> want him back on the field. I don't
1: think he needs our money. I think he's good. Three times
17: too many times. Martha.
1: All right, Chicago police change foot chase policies and will not pursue suspects in some cases. They'll no, no longer be able to chase people because run the people uh, run away during a confrontation.
3: Unbelievable. Just another reason to get out of Chicago, run away from crime and away from that city. Oh, Guys,
14: sadly, that's all we need to know.